we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Animal Voices radio show, a radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. You're listening to 100.5 FM CFRO, Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, broadcasting from unceded Coast Salish territories. I'm Carol Davies McIntosh, and we have three guest hosts today with us, Megan Beatty. Hello. Lee Thompson. Hello. And Grace Rampolt. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Today, Hi. Today, we have an interview with Dr. Neil Bernard of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and an interview with personal trainer Karina Inkster. But first, our guest hosts are going to tell you a little bit about themselves, their interests, and including perhaps answering the question. Do you remember when you first started thinking that there was something problematic about human-non-human relations? Ladies? All right. Well, I guess I will start first. This is Megan. Um, I have been around uh, the Vancouver animal rights community per, for about six years now. and I've been on the show a couple times over the years, and I love it so much. Um, right now, I'm very heavily involved in the Animal Save movement and, of course, um, an organizer with Vancouver Chicken Save, and we've got a lot of exciting initiatives and events and workshops and all sorts of things like that coming up for 2020 because we're wanting to open up the conversation about inclusion and diversity, equity, um, intersectionality, all of these things, um, bringing in information and education about other systems of oppression that are connected to and interlink so much with animal rights and kind of looking at the bigger picture. So we are very excited about all of that and to kind of help this community build strength and grow. Um, as far as your question, Carol, I don't know when it was. Um, I definitely did not have those moments. I hear those um, stories of people when they were children oh, I would never mm. eat that animal, you know, and I, I, don't, I didn't have that. I knew, I remember distinctly hating this tofu ginger dish that my dad would make. And, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, I was very, very late in life that I um, figured this all out, but I think it was underlying more of an anti-oppression kind of stance that I had without really putting the words to it mm. um, and I kind of went through the whole stages of being really um, aggressively against solely animal cruelty and I've gratefully uh, opened up my um, mind to all of the oppressions and how they all connect and yes. 
What about you, Leah? Um, thanks, Megan. <laughs> I'm Leah. I use she/her pronouns. Oh yes, I, I use she/her pronouns too. <laughs> I'm from New Jersey in the United States, but I moved to Vancouver in August. I'm a student at UBC. I'm in the Gender, Race, Sexuality, and Social Justice program. Yes. And so, um, so I'm involved with UBC Vegans as well. But um, in town, I've been spearheading the Vegan Feminist Book Club mm-hmm. with Megan and Grace and others. Um, so I'll just read a little blurb from our Facebook page. The Vegan Feminist Book Club is hoping to meet monthly and discuss whole books or select chapters. In our readings of various social justice texts, we will discuss how both humans and non-human animals have been marginalized by different systems of power. We are hoping that this club can help foster community with individuals in the Lower Mainland area across social justice movements. Our space will attempt to be as safe and welcoming to people of all genders, races, abilities, ages, sexualities, religions, etc. as possible. We will hold no space whatsoever to those who um, act upon the oppressive beliefs. So yeah, Grace, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Grace. Uh, I use she, her pronouns, but you could just call me Grace. Um, I'm in my third year at uh, UBC in the Landon Faculty of Land and Food Systems, studying animal welfare and sustainable food. Um, So I've spent a lot of my time as a farmer trying to grow my own food and live sustainably um, in the practicum at UBC Farm. So um, I also have worked for PETA in the past as the campus rep um, at UBC, which is a role that I'm handing Mm -hmm. off to Leah for the next semester. And yeah, um, I was thinking about that question a lot, about the idea of when I realized that there was an issue between my relationship with animals, um, or how most people see animals, and it definitely was also much later. Mm -hmm. Uh, In my childhood, my family was the very classic um, standard American diet, and it wasn't until I think I was maybe 15 when I realized that my body under capitalism was being commodified Mm -hmm. and everyone's bodies under capitalism is commodified. Mm -hmm. Um, Realizing that animals were treated as products rather than individuals was so visceral to me. Uh, And I think that, yeah, I I wanted to just kind of abandon all hypocrisies within my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's also kind of what brought me to Vancouver. And I've been getting really deep in different scenes in the vegan community on campus and off campus, and I'm happy to have met Megan through the Save Movement and, um, yeah, grow my little tribe all across the Lower Mainland. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, I never answered that question. Yeah, you just realized. (laughs) Um, Oops. Yeah, no, I had... I went vegan in 2015, and I kind of just did it for the environment slash kind of like basic ethics, but um, it wasn't until I really got into like YouTube that I started (laughs) like, you know those videos where it's like literally a picture of a pig and a dog next to each other, and you know, that's pretty problematic the more I think about it, but like, just like as a very basic like questioning why I feel a certain way about some animals and then don't care about others. That's kind of what spoke to me at first. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And I think that from what I said is about feeling badly about and you know just the whole comparison of oh whenever I hear these stories of people who knew when they were children Mm -hmm. and putting guilt or shame on myself or on ourselves for not learning Mm -hmm. and being aware of this even like just right now like a couple seconds ago hearing both of your stories you are both much younger than me (laughs) Um, and I've only been you know I went vegan when I was 39 Mm -hmm. and um, so there's uh, it's hard to let go of that comparison and that guilt of not doing it sooner and there's always that conversation of oh I wish I had been vegan sooner and trying to shift that that narrative is something that would be really great for the community and moving mm-hmm. forward and being more positive and accepting of all of our um, journeys, as much as I don't like using that word. <laughs> I think it's a bit of a miracle that we all came to this at all, mm-hmm. given, yeah. given the society and the world that we live in. And, um, you know, so I think you should be patting yourself on the back a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. Thank you, Carol. Yourself up. Yeah. And I was, I was going to add to that. Um, a big part of my journey was, uh, you know, the resources of the internet and having documentaries and honestly having Netflix. I mean, I got very into learning about um, things like how Monsanto and Bear kind of own most of agriculture. And then from there, things like Cowspiracy, um, which I now currently have more mixed feelings about. But, <laughs> you know, being 15 and seeing those things and learning that, things you don't get in school in a standard education. Yeah. Um, it shook me and I wanted to be educated Mm. Um, and yeah it's really easy to keep blinders on um, especially in a world where yeah before before those things existed before the internet before what was that the yellow pages yeah the yellow pages (laughs) Carol would you like to answer the question well um, I think that I was almost born that way um when i was really young like three or and four years old i had a huge affinity for animals and i always um want even at that age i wanted to have a farm with animals on it and um not you know to eat them but just to love them because they're fun and and um they're in a lot of cases even better than human companions Mm -hmm. um so but i grew up in a um uh, with the sort of standard canadian diet i guess it was which i think is a little better than the standard american (laughs) diet um but not um my dad grew up on a farm and so they had you know chickens and and cows and stuff like that but um my grandmother actually would take the chickens if they got little spurs or something in their feet she would bring them into the house and she would bandage them up and you know soak them in epsom salts and all that kind of stuff so even though they were providing eggs and stuff she still had whatever that is you know that empathy that compassion she still had that so Mm -hmm. i think i inherited that Mm -hmm. and um so my struggle was how do i change um what i eat and what i wear and all that kind of stuff given the society was telling me 
I had to. I didn't have a choice. I had to eat meat because that's the only way you can stay alive. And Mm -hmm. um, I really think I'm a lot older than all of you people. (laughs) And at that time, you know, people that's what they were told mm-hmm. in North America that you don't it wasn't a choice really right. it was like you had to to live so um so it's been a journey um yeah and um an interesting one um and I'm glad I'm here now mm-hmm. and I loved hearing you say you know having a farm with animals on it but not to be consumed and I think that a lot of farmers today don't don't make that connection that you can farm and have animals but you don't need to eat them they right. can just be your friends yeah, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. yeah so that was my story <laughs> so now grace do you have some news for us yes i do um for the news this week i wanted to start off um by bringing back that discussion on the ag ag bill 156 so there's an ongoing battle between animal rights activists and these farmers about this bill the ontario government has promised to outlaw individuals even those who have permission from entering farms on false pretenses so this bill isn't just banning activists from trespassing or filming these atrocities going on in slaughterhouses It's outlawing even undercover investigators from blowing the whistle on cruel and illegal conditions. Um, Ontario has no welfare standards and no public inspections, um, and similar bills and similar lack of welfare standards and inspections are going on in Alberta as well. There's no oversight for all of these animals that are confined to these appalling conditions. And in the United States, similar legislation has been struck down as unconstitutional because, I mean, if you really think about it, uh, it's banning our right to speak out against injustices. So... Um, I really think that we should continue the narrative on this just on this topic, um, exposing injustices, cruelty and unethical working conditions as far as even, you know, in slaughterhouses or really in any kind of large factory situation. And I wanted to open up a little discussion on that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, the bill um, one, five, six. As you said, it's bring it even like it's encompassing the whole save movements, yeah. uh, vigil, bearing witness, everything. And actually, this morning, I happened to be behind a truck that had chickens um, in it and was able to follow it and go into the alleyway to the slaughterhouse, the United Poultry Slaughterhouse that's in the downtown east side, not Hallmark. Mm-hmm. And I just went into the alleyway and everything was right there. So. That would mean that I could, like, they could, if there was a bill that was like that here in BC, which there is one that has already been written up. It just hasn't been mm-hmm. publicized yet. We're still waiting on hearing about information about that. But potentially, I could get charged. Yeah, up for, to $11,000. For being in an alleyway, just taking a picture of what I'm seeing, mm-hmm. which is just bonkers to me. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. And as an American, um, it made me think of the book, The Jungle, um, yes. which are, yeah, suggesting research yeah. on, right. And, you know, if that had, if this was, a, if this was outlawed in the States, you know, that would have never come into fruition and mm-hmm. we wouldn't have any welfare regulations um, yeah. or workers' rights yeah. at all. Yeah. 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 That's a huge piece. The, there's also that book, um, Slaughterhouse, I think it is. Um, I can't remember the name of the author but it's a main one it, it 
talks a lot about what happens to the animals, but it also focuses so much on the humans that are in there doing this work. Um, I don't know if you could call it work. It's <laughs> torture. Yeah. I don't, you know, like in the conditions, it's just, it's beyond, um, it's not okay at all. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to move on from this and talk about a win. So we're going to go from the sad to the exciting. (laughs) Um, A win for the news is that actually uh, UBC declared climate emergency right in the new year. Um, And the UBC chapter of Extinction Rebellion then initiated a hunger strike on January 6th after UBC had still not committed to fully divesting from fossil fuels. So after five days of students going with no food, UBC finally agreed to Extinction Rebellion's demands. Um, So that means that we are no longer committing any money to fossil fuels in Canada um, as a campus. Woo! Yes, to eliminate all hypocrisies of their investments. So the demands I want to read out are to denounce the role of fossil fuel industry in fueling the climate crisis and perpetuating injustices against indigenous, black, and other racialized communities in Canada and around the world. Um, I like to add to this clause also non-human animals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Acknowledging that the continued operation of the fossil fuel expansion is discordant to the climate safe future. A call for a managed decline of fossil fuels and a bold, immediate transition to a just and regenerative economy and society mm-hmm. and encourages other institutions to follow UBC's lead and divest their assets from fossil fuels, which I love. And it made me kind of inspired. I was thinking about um, what an impact it would have if the entire campus, I mean, there's about 60,000 people, we completely banned um the consumption of animal products of um, meat on campus, the impact that would have mm-hmm. on you know the entire world on all of BC. Yeah, um, that's I mean, just incredible. So they they didn't eat literally for five days. Yeah, every day in the alumni center, up to about eight people um, were lying there waiting, um, and I'm sure that and I I did um, fast for the days as well, and a lot of other people were um, joining in. Wow. That's great. That's <laughs> really good to hear. And, it, you know, it, I mean, five days of fasting is great, but it's not, you know, it's not as hard as some mm-hmm. things could be and some fights have been. And it's, it's good that UBC has, has taken that step. Good yeah. on them. For our, our first interview, um, Amir Ali discusses the benefits of making some dietary changes with Dr. Neil Bernard. Dr. Bernard is the founder of the Physicians Committee with Responsible Medicine in Washington, D.C. This committee has been going since 1985, and it w- and, um Dr. Bernard was the first and the founder. Um, it's a nonprofit research organization, and, and they promote plant-based diets, preventative medicine, uh, often based on plants and, th- and diet and uh, exercise, and also alternatives to animal research. Uh, Amir began by asking Dr. Bernard why he was a proponent of plant-based diets when so many physicians are not. Well, first, let me address the the point that you made, which I think is really important, which is that when people have a high cholesterol level, it's not like they have a Lipitor deficiency. They they got there from food. If they have type 2 diabetes or if they've gained weight, what the 
patient is eating is the cause of the condition. So if a doctor doesn't want to talk about it or whatever, they're really not doing their job. So my feeling is as, as a physician, you must look at what the patients uh, are eating. And, and people don't get into, into trouble eating broccoli and carrots and bread. They get into trouble with cheese pizza and chicken nuggets. The year before I went to medical school, I had a job as an autopsy assistant in a hospital in Minneapolis. And one day, a man died in the hospital of a massive heart attack, maybe from eating hospital food, I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, the pathologist knew that I was going to go to medical school the following year, so he made sure that I saw everything. And he cut a big chunk of ribs off the front of the chest, and that exposed the heart, which was filled with atherosclerotic plaque that killed this man. And when the exam was finished, uh, I, I had to clean everything up, and that included putting the ribs back in the chest and sewing up the skin. And when I went up to the cafeteria, they were serving ribs for lunch. And it smelled, and it looked exactly like the body that we had been examining, and I just couldn't eat it at all. And, and ever since then, the connections between what we eat and what kills us have, uh, have gotten only stronger in my mind. That's an amazing story. It makes me a little bit queasy to think about. Today we have uh, so many different sources for, for science, and, and especially when it comes to nutrition. And it seems like you can find a, a reliable study and then find another reliable study that debunks that previous study. How in your experience would you navigate this sort of science-saturated terrain and find the most reliable and fact-based information? With food, we're very much where we were a generation ago with tobacco, where the science was really pretty clear. Um, at, at least as time went on, it became clear that tobacco was linked to lung cancer. Nobody was doing a randomized controlled trial where they would make people smoke, but, but on the other hand, it was clear that people who did smoke were at much higher risk. Um, however, the confusion came in when industry was threatened, and so they tried to interpret the science in other ways and tried to sow the seeds of confusion. That's where we are now, many years later, with bacon and with sausage and with cheese and with steak, they cause heart disease. They, they cause people to have a higher risk of cancer. And frankly, the science is not conflicted. It's really quite clear because it's been summarized uh, over and over again and very, very good studies show that if you avoid these products, your risk of, of getting sick is, is a lot lower. Uh, but industry, again, feels threatened, and so it does a lot of things to try to make the science look shaky. Um, and partly that means funding research studies themselves. The, the jury is in, and it's really pretty clear. I feel like a, a lot of the time it boils down to based on a feedback that I've gotten from listeners of the station when we talk about plant-based diets and that kind of thing. A lot of it sort of boils down to what people have been doing for years, and because they've been doing it for years, they want to continue doing it for more, more and more years. Uh, for those listening that might have animosity towards trying out a plant-based diet for their health and for the planet because of this sort of mindset on traditions and stuff. How would you navigate or maybe diffuse that animosity? I think it's, it's reasonable for people to be skeptical um, because there are all kinds of people hawking all kinds of fad diets. And if people just bought into anything, that wouldn't be good. So I think it's understandable when people are skeptical and even a little resistant because, let's face it, we all love the chocolate cake that we got when we were at our six-year birthday party. Um, so nobody wants to give these things up necessarily. Um, so the process of change starts with information. Uh, in our medical clinic, we talk with the patient about why they developed type 2 diabetes 
and we describe how it occurs, um, where cancer comes from, uh, where weight problems come from. And as time goes on, uh, people who don't want to have diabetes anymore and they don't want to be sick um, really do uh, take quite an interest in making a, a change to their diet. And then the process from there is uh, once a person knows why a diet change works, then it's really a question of helping them to, to, to get into it in a way that, that really does work for them. Let's move on to some tangible things that people can do. Obviously, it's now Veganuary. Uh, I think last year we had record numbers of people signing up to try plant-based lifestyle. Um, as a doctor and someone who spends a great deal of time thinking about nutrition, could it be a shock to your system from going uh, from eating an omnivore diet and then cutting it cold turkey, no pun intended, and, and switching directly to a completely plant-based diet? Um, no, it's not a shock to the system in any negative way. It's, a, it's a really a good thing. Um, and we break it into two steps. The first step is we take a week where we're not taking anything out of the diet. What we're doing is we're just trying out vegan options uh, simply to see what the person really likes. So uh, every patient gets a piece of paper, and it says breakfast, then leave some space, then lunch, leave some space, then dinner, and then snacks. And for the next seven days, they're going to try out foods and, and see which ones they like. So if every morning you, you splash some cow's milk on your cornflakes, well, now let's try almond milk. If you never tried it, go to the store and buy it. Or oat milk or rice milk or soy milk and see which, see which one you like. Or maybe sausage is your thing. You might try the vegan sausage. I assume that's part of your 21-day vegan kickstart. And if people want to sort of follow what the plan that you've laid out, where can they find more information about that? Well, if you want to, on your smartphone, you can just put in 21 Day Vegan Kickstart. And it's an app that is totally free, and you can download it. And you'll get um, uh, menus and recipes and, and videos and all kinds of things. And it uh, really makes it very easy. You'll also see information at pcrm.org. That stands for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, pcrm.org. I wonder if from your experience, if you could say just a bit about how the impact of our diet, what kind of impact that actually has on, on the planet and the climate. I grew up in North Dakota and uh, the middle of cattle country. And my extended family made a lot of money from that business. And as far as the eye could see, it was corn crops uh, and, and soybean crops all genetically modified, and no human was going to eat any of it. It was all cattle feed. And the irrigation that was required for that, the pesticides and fertilizer that was required for all that, um, ended up uh, all washing into the rivers and streams and creating a real environmental problem. And the bigger problem is that as cows belch methane, that creates uh, climate change. And we've all had to get used to the fact that climate change is real, and rather than wait for industry to cap their smokestacks, it's time for us to uh, put a lid on the appetites that have brought us uh, into this kind of disaster. Uh, vegan food is good for you, but it's good for the planet, too. Yeah, great answer again. Uh, last question. I know that you've got another book coming out, which is called uh, Your Body in Balance on how our diet affects our home hormones and our health. I wonder if you could give us just a little preview or the sort of Cole's Notes version of uh, what this book is going to cover. Some people have imagined that you would make a diet change because you have a serious illness like uh, a heart attack or, or diabetes or something. Your body in balance makes the case 
that foods affect us in many more ways than that. And it started with a young woman who found that she had terrible, terrible menstrual cramps, that, which many women have, uh, but they went away as soon as she started a low-fat vegan diet. The reason for that is that foods change the amount of hormones that are in your blood. In her case, it was estrogens. And that made her, by changing the amount of estrogens in her blood, she could get her cramps to go away. So we started doing research on this, and we found that with diet changes, you can affect the hormones that relate to cramps, but also infertility and endometriosis, and for men, erectile dysfunction, for men and women, hormone-related cancers like breast cancer and prostate cancer. So as a doctor, I felt we are spending so much money on drugs for these things. We are, we are uh, having patients go into the operating room for their endometriosis. Um, we're giving them pills for hot flashes. Let's see if we can cure it at breakfast. And the answer is many times we can. So that's the message of your body imbalance. That sounds like it's going to be a fascinating read. Um, Dr. Barnard, uh, honored to talk to you. Really appreciate your time today. And uh, thanks for offering some of your wisdom to us today. Let me give a shout out to one of your listeners. Lindsay Nixon is the uh, food expert who did all of the recipes for your body and balance. And she is a Vancouver native and uh, does a great job helping people to get inspired to change their diets. I'm Carol Davies McIntosh. We have three guest hosts here today, Megan, Leah, and Grace. The interview by Jen Dobell is with Karina Inkster, who is a personal trainer. And she has been uh, she has been in Vancouver. She's an evidence-based vegan health and fitness coach and a cookbook author and podcaster at a podcast called The No Bull S, vegan, not allowed to say that word. Um, she has a master's degree in gerontology, and that informs her training model. So what her what she's saying is if you can train with her, she's basically guaranteeing you that you're going to take that into your gerontology years. So now for our next interview, we are going to be meeting a Vancouver-based personal trainer with a compassionate mission to inspire her clients to get healthy and strong without harming animals. Most vegans are beyond tired of the question, where do you get your protein? In today's show, Karina will tell us where she gets her protein, and we will also learn about her new and totally free online vegan program. Karina has a master's degree in gerontology specializing in health and aging. She works with vegans and vegetarians and those interested in becoming plant-based. She's been vegan since 2003 and vegetarian since 1998. Karina also specializes in training women who want to get serious about lifting weights. As founder and leader of the Vancouver Women's Weightlifting Group, she hosts monthly workshops for women who have had no previous experience with lifting and have fallen in love with it and are getting mind-blowing strength, mental, and aesthetic results along the way. The success doesn't stop there. Karina is also an author of two written books and two e-books, the creator of two online courses, and a regular writer for the online magazine LifetimeDaily.com. Welcome, Karina. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for making time for us today. Of course. You must be busy at the gym with everyone's New Year's resolutions. Well, you know, most of my clients are pretty long-term, so there's not a lot of people who start in January, strangely enough. Ah, right. You're regularly fully booked. That's true. Pretty much. So you've been vegan for 14 years. What was your motivation? Well, I started by becoming vegetarian first, so that was 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. 
And that was 100% an ethical decision to avoid animal exploitation. Mm-hmm. Because really, the only reason that humans, um, that humans in the developed world eat animal products is because we think they taste good. That's about it, right? Yeah. So there's no biological or medical reason to, to do so otherwise. So I realized this, and I was only 11 at the time, um, that it was basically immoral to eat animals. Now, it took me five years from then to figure out and to learn that there's really no moral distinction between meat and other animal products like dairy and eggs, right? It's all the same industry. They're all intertwined. Um, So, for example, if you consume dairy, you're by default supporting the veal industry, and there's many other examples. So at that point, I went vegan, entirely for ethical reasons again. But around that time, I'd been doing a lot of research, and I realized that there were actually a whole bunch of other reasons for being vegan other than ethical. And I found three that really resonated with me. First one, just being my own health. A lot of research, especially recently in the last couple of years, points towards really incredible health benefits of a plant-based diet. And I actually got rid of many of my own health issues, which were actually probably a dairy allergy that was never diagnosed properly mm-hmm. by going totally vegan. So that was another kind of bonus reason that I came across. The second one was athletic performance. Vegan fitness, as we all know, is kind of a new movement still. So there's still a lot of research that we need on the topic. But it seems from even a lot of professional athletes and people like sports dietitians that there might actually be a performance-enhancing effect of eating an entirely plant-based diet. And there's a lot of pro athletes who are going vegan entirely for performance reasons. So we still need a lot more research in that area, but this is kind of what it what it seems to be pointing towards, and I think that's that's a pretty legit reason for going vegan right there. Absolutely. And uh-huh. then the oh sorry. Go ahead. Yep. Oh, just the last one is um, this is this is kind of what what I learned during my research, uh, probably 13, 14 years ago, something like that, is the environment. Um, animal agriculture creates more greenhouse gas than all forms of transportation combined, which is ridiculous. And there's a lot of other problems too, like deforestation and pollution. Um, But only in the past couple of years has this idea of going vegan for the environment been catching on, right? right? Like uh, you you may have heard Arnold Schwarzenegger actually just recently in the last year or less is advocating um, a decreased meat intake just entirely for environmental reasons. I love him. I know. So, I mean, he's the the greatest poster child of muscle building without meat, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How long have you been personal training for, Karina? Um, I started my business in early 2011. So it's been uh, just about six years. Mm -hmm. And I want to know about your free 10-day program that you just put out. Right. Okay. Well, it's a good time because I feel like January is, is uh, a very popular month for people to, to make health decisions and think about going vegan. So basically, if you're thinking about going vegan or you're a new vegan, this course can help you. Um, if you're already vegan but you want some new ideas, I, I, I would also recommend it. But it's kind of aimed towards people who want to go vegan or who are new to it. Mm-hmm. And it's a free 10-day course that basically teaches you step-by-step how to go entirely plant-based by um, veganizing your meals and how to stock your pantry, how to eat at restaurants, how to get all your required nutrients, and you'll get a whole bunch of recipes. It's pretty straightforward. It's basically every day for 10 days, you get an email that takes 
five minutes or less to read, mm-hmm. and it covers a different topic every day. And then there's additional resources that you can look into, like books and films and some of the documentaries that you were mentioning earlier on the show, actually. Yeah. And it's all free, and you can enroll at my website, which is KarinaInkster.com. Well, that's really generous of you to offer that mm-hmm. for free, and you're right. It's a great time of year, and I've already sent it to a few people. So thank you for putting that out and all the time that it must have taken you to put that together. Yeah, it was like writing a second ebook. book. <laughs> it's, that's great, though. You'll, you could create a lot of vegans out of it, and you could save a lot of animals. So I will consider that another form of your advocacy. That's great. For sure, yeah, that's the plan. And many of us vegans grow very weary of having to constantly tell people that we can get all the protein we need through a vegan diet or even any nutrient for that matter. How does this affect you as a personal trainer within the subculture, which is often obsessed with acquiring protein? That is a great question. I think the myth that vegans don't get enough protein is finally slowly dying out, but it's still there. It's still persisting, unfortunately. It's almost like people in our society have been brainwashed to believe that the only sources of protein we can eat come from animals, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and so I see a lot of new vegan clients who are coming to me with concerns about protein just because they've heard all these myths. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's two main points here. The first one is just in case any of your listeners are wondering, as long as you're eating enough total calories that supports your activity and your, your fitness goals, you're going to get enough protein. It's, it's not hard to get. I actually interviewed um, the director of nutrition education for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Mm-hmm. Her name is Susan Levin. So I interviewed her for my book, and she said that most of us, consume twice the amount of protein we need without even thinking about absolutely it. true right and so people like me who eat 3,000 calories a day or more I'm actually getting more than four times the amount of protein I need just based on the amount of food I'm eating right right so to your question being in the fitness industry and focusing on strength training and muscle building both for myself and for my clients it does mean that I do need to focus on protein mm-hmm. but this would be the case whether I was vegan or not, right? It's just that's how muscles are built, and that's what we need for fuel. So I do need to make sure that my clients are supporting their fitness goals by getting enough protein. Um, so when it comes down to it, my fitness or my role as a fitness professional is to educate and to walk my talk and to show how easy it is. And it's, it's kind of awesome that more and more people are learning that, yeah, protein is important if you're, if you're strength training or if you're active in other ways, but it's really not hard to get as a vegan and you don't need supplements to do it. Right. Well, why don't you tell us where you get your protein? Well, I eat way more than the average person of my size <laughs> just because I'm so active. Um, so I kind of get it by default just based on the amount of food I'm eating. So there's a lot of really good sources that I really like. So lentils, beans, tempeh is actually a great source, and it's less processed than tofu. Uh, Edamame is one of my favorite sources. Uh, A lot of people seem to not know about dry roasted edamame. It's like the roasted chickpeas, but it's edamame, and it's Mm -hmm. way higher in protein. So half of the um, grams that you're eating of dried edamame is actually pure protein. Um, occasionally I'll do a brown rice protein shake, but that's more of an insurance policy, like really easy snack. If I'm at work, I try not to rely on supplements and I try to just eat normal whole food sources. Great. And so I want to know a little bit about how that works for you being around other personal trainers who 
I don't know how I don't know what their views are like around veganism and bodybuilding. What's that like for you? Well, being around people at work who are kind of unaware of these of these issues, it's kind of the same as as being around people elsewhere. You kind of just need to walk your talk and you need to be open to having discussions. Um, but every gym too seems to have its own subculture. For right? sure. Like, where I was at before, before I moved to the gym I'm at, my veganism barely came up unless I brought really mind-blowing vegan food to share, and then we have discussions about it. But where I'm at now, the culture seems to be a little more skeptical of veganism. Mm-hmm. But I see that as a great opportunity, though, to educate and to lead by example. And walking the talk is actually one of my most important values in my business anyway, so yeah. it works perfectly. <laughs> well, I mean, exactly. How can they see you lifting what you can lift? I've seen you do pull-ups. I couldn't do a pull-up to save my life. I've seen you in your, <laughs> in your bra top and your spandex. I mean, how could they possibly look at you and have any argument against it? <laughs> well, I think there's still a lot of resistance though, right? Like, I mean, yeah, I can bust out more pull-ups than any other female trainer at my gym. And, you know, honestly, probably some of the guys too. Awesome. <laughs> um, but, you know, I still hear comments like, well, that's pretty good for a vegan. And I know they're trying to be funny, <laughs> um, but it gets pretty old listening it. to that kind of stuff for 14 years, right? And it does mean that there's still this underlying belief that there's something odd about being vegan or, or that I'm you know, sabotaging my fitness results potentially um, by being plant-based, which is not the case at all, obviously. Mm -hmm. Well, have you converted anybody at the gym? I haven't yet, but I do think that I've opened up some minds to the diverse world of of plant-based eating. So as an example, a bunch of the trainers um, that I work with who are not vegan, but they've read my book just to get new meal ideas. Oh, great. And ways of increasing their their plant-based food. So they're not vegan, but they're eating more vegan food. So I think that's progress, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think it's it's smaller steps. I mean, I think even, even when we're not full-on converting anyone, which does happen too, of course, we're still exposing people to new ideas and we're still affecting other people's diets. And it all adds up and it's all progress. Well, it's like I always say, you can put information in someone's head and they can't take it out. That's the best thing. Even if they didn't want to hear it, it's there now. Just like, I don't know if you heard my story earlier about going through Whole Foods and telling the ladies that all the chicks go into the grinders. Yes, I did. That woman was mad, but she knows that now and she can't unknow that. Ha ha. Exactly. Exactly. It's planting seeds, as we always say. Yeah, they might just shrivel up and die, but it's still in there. Exactly. I want to hear some success stories. Do you have any stories where maybe you took on a new client who was totally opposed to going vegan and you completely turned them around or anything like that? Well, I have one story uh, that sticks out in my mind of someone who was actually vegan already. So it's not really a conversion story, but we all know that just because you're on a vegan diet doesn't mean you're on a healthy diet, right? Right. I mean, Oreos and French fries and Skittles, those are all vegan. Mm -hmm. So I had a client, um, her name's Carmen. She's been training with me since 2014 where she kind of got to the point where um, she let her fitness slide. Her life was super busy. I mean, it happens, right? Mm -hmm. And just walking a few blocks would leave her out of breath, which is not a good way to be spending Mm -hmm. your life, right? Yeah. Um, So she had never really been much of a gym person, but she really loved boxing. And I knew that because I trained her partner as well, who's another vegan client of mine. 
So I said, hey, let's do some boxing. I can show you some fun moves, which was basically just a cover-up for the fact that I knew what she really needed, which was a nutrition plan and strength training. So she came into the gym, and I realized that one of the missing pieces of Carmen's plan was that she wasn't really focusing on what she was eating. I mean, yeah, she was pretty much vegan, not entirely at that point, but it wasn't supporting her, her fitness. Um, so we, we made a plan. We made sure that she was getting her, her really good whole food protein sources. She added strength training to her program. And we fast forward about a year, and she does her first triathlon, which is something that she never thought she would do, which wow. is amazing. And, and I'm telling you this story because she's now someone who embodies being a vegan athlete. And she came from somewhere where walking a few blocks winded her, right? Mm-hmm. So she's completely transformed her lifestyle. She is now, fast-forwarding another year because she's still training with me, she's now doing like a full season of cycling events. So this past summer she did a cycling race that was 140 kilometers which is crazy, even for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, She actually cycled from Burnaby all the way to Harrison Hot Springs for a charity ride, which is 120 kilometers. So anyways, she she basically exemplifies vegan fitness, and she also um, is an example that it's never too late to start. She's in the best shape of her life, and she turned 50 this year. That's good. We should have her on the show. Tell her I want to have her on the show. That would be awesome. I yeah. think she's listening right now, so we should get her on. Okay. Hi. Thanks for listening. Hi. <laughs> Animal Voices every Friday. <laughs> um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your book, Vegan Vitality, and then also how we can learn more about you just before we say goodbye here? Yeah. So Vegan Vitality is a cookbook, so it has more than 100 recipes that I made specifically for active living, by the way. Um, so it's a cookbook, and it's also a healthy living guide. So some of your listeners, and you, I'm sure, know of Robert Cheek, who's a vegan bodybuilding legend. And right? we've, we've had him on the show before, too. There you go. Mm-hmm. So he wrote the foreword, which is really awesome. And there's also 16 interviews with other vegan athletes. We could get their tips and their recipes, their secret superpowers. So it's basically a resource for vegans who want to make fitness a part of their lives. I thought there were enough cookbooks out there in the market. I kind of wanted to make something different with recipes that were specifically for people who want to be active um, in their lives. So that's, that's the book. Um, you can learn more about it at my website, which is karinainkster.com. Great. And, uh, yeah, there's a, I think you mentioned in the intro, the um, Vancouver Women's Weightlifting Group that I run. So we meet up every month in Vancouver, and uh, we kind of workshop different things every month. So we have an event coming up on the 14th. So it's coming up next week, teaching people how to deadlift with a kettlebell. So we're going to do four different variations of kettlebell deadlifts. And uh, there's the free course on my website. There's more about my books, and it's all at KarinaInkster.com. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO, 100% listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. And as mentioned before, that interview was recorded in January 2017. Karina is now doing her coaching completely online. And as she mentioned, for more information, her website is karinainkster.com.
For events this week, this evening, Friday, January 17th, 6 to 9 p.m., there will be a Canada Goose Mass Protest organized by DXC at the Main Street Station, Science World SkyTrain Station. There will be signs and leaflets provided, and they ask that you please bring your compass cards so that you may ride the SkyTrain downtown to the Canada Goose location. Also this evening, Friday, January 17th, from 6.30 to 9 p.m. at the Russian Hall in the downtown east side, join your local community to watch a screening of the short film, Invasion. Invasion is a new film about the Unit Stoughton Camp, Gimden Checkpoint, and the larger Wet'suwet'en nation standing up to the Canadian government and corporations who continue colonial violence against Indigenous people. The Unit Stoughton Camp has been a beacon of resistance for nearly 10 years. It is a healing space for Indigenous people and settlers alike, and an active example of decolonization. The violence, environmental destruction, and disregard for human rights and non-human animal rights following TC Energy, formerly TransCanada, Coastal Gas Link's interim injunction has been devastating to bear, but this fight is far from over. In addition to the film, we will hear updates from Unisotan Camp and Gimden Checkpoint and discuss next steps in the resistance to colonial occupation of Indigenous territories and capitalist resource extraction projects. This Saturday and Sunday, from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., in support of animals, human and otherwise, affected by the Australian fires, the Vancouver Vegan Resource Centre and Little Mountain Shop are presenting a special vegan pop-up at the Little Mountain Shop on Main Street. Various vendors from across the city are coming together to sell their products and donate 100% of sales to Wild to Free Inc. and Kangaroo Sanctuary. Also this weekend, Massey Books, an Indigenous-owned social justice bookstore in Chinatown, will be having their annual 50% off with a sale applying to all books from 2017 and prior. Those unsold by Sunday will go down to $1 to $3. Last week, we announced that the Vancouver premiere of the feature documentary, The Animal People, would be last night, January 16th. However, it has been postponed to Wednesday, January 29th at 6.30 p.m. at UBC Robson Square. So, if you weren't able to make it this week, here's another chance to get a ticket and join us in two weeks. To find out more about this event and others, check out our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver. If you have any events that you'd like us to announce, please contact us through radioanimalvoices at gmail.com or Animal Voices Vancouver on Facebook. You've been listening to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on the unceded Coast Salish territories. Join us next Friday, January 24th at noon for a Hawaii-themed show, which our co-host Allison will present. We'll have a feature interview with Anchi Howitz, a co-founder and director of operations of the Aloha Animal Sanctuary, which Allison visited this week, plus a review of vegan living in Oahu, and more, and more. <laughs> we here at Animal Voices want to connect with you online. Visit our website, animalvoices.org, where you can stream past shows and download them as podcasts. You can also see our show blog there with detailed links and subscribe to us on iTunes. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver and on Twitter at Animal Voices YVR. We are also currently looking for more volunteers to help with producing and hosting shows, website maintenance, social media, and more. If you have any of these skills or a willingness to learn and you're passionate about animal advocacy, shoot us an email at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com.
Now we'll leave you with a song. Here's Tracy Chapman's cover of The Times They Are A-Changing. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you for listening to Animal Voices today, and remember to be kind to animals. Gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown Accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are changing Writers and critics, you prophesize with your pen. And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again. And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in span. And there's no telling who that it's naming. And the loser now will be led to win, for the times they are changing. Senators and Congress, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorways, don't block up the hall. For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled. There's a battle outside and it's raging. It'll soon shake your windows and rattle your walls. For the times, they are changing. Mothers and fathers throughout the land Don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can lend your hand For the times, they are changing Draw. The curse it is cast The slow one now Will later be passed As the present now Will later be passed Your old road is rapidly fading And the first one now Will later be left